Welcome to episode 7 of the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. This week we have an interview with Hannah Schaefer, co-owner of Make Big Things, and we talk to her about designing independent role-playing games. Before that, the news. Barker's Row by Stephen Aramini is still on Kickstarter. Uh, Stephen will be on an upcoming episode to talk about Barker's Row and other games. A print and play of Striking Flint by John Dubois is available if you want to check that out. John will be on an upcoming episode to talk about Striking Flint and some of his other games. For a contest, the Thundergriff Survival Contest is still going on. Submissions are due May 31st, so you have a couple of weeks to get those in. The Game Crafter has two contests going on. The Big Box Challenge, submissions are due June 5th. And the Gamehole Dungeon Crawler Challenge, submissions are due August 15th. You can check out thegamecrafter.com slash contests for those. You can check out the show notes at theboardgameworkshop.com for links to all of the things mentioned here. Now, on to the interview. I'm here with Hannah Schaefer, co-founder of Make Big Things. And Hannah, thank you for being on the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Chris. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into gaming, and how you started designing. Sure, yeah. Um, so I've been designing, role-playing, and sort of role-playing board games since um, like 2014, I guess. So I'm still pretty, I, I consider myself still a newbie. Um, and I did not grow up playing role-playing games. Um, I grew up mostly playing computer games, and I thought that I was going to be a video game designer. And then um, a few years ago, ended up meeting some indie RPG designers, uh, sort of by happenstance, and was really taken with this weird pen and paper medium. Um, and so I've been designing role-playing games ever since. Cool. Yeah, I, I don't play as much RPGs as I would like, but yeah. <laughs> I'm really interested, especially in like the indie scene. There's so many unique storytelling designs and styles people are coming up with now. It's it's really yeah. quite amazing. Yeah, and with Kickstarter, there's new stuff coming out all the time. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the games that you've worked on and what they're about? Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm part of a three-person game design cooperative called Make Big Things. Um, we use um, like sort of a, a radical co-op model where, you know, every game we make, profits get split three ways and we divide work equally between the three of us. Um, so the games that we have produced so far are Questlandia, which is a fantasy kingdom building and kingdom destroying game. Um, 14 Days, which is a two-player board game, role-playing game hybrid that's about managing life with chronic pain, specifically about migraines. And uh, Noirlandia, which is a, you know, the uh, noir spiritual successor to Questlandia, where you solve a murder mystery um, on like an actual corkboard where you're stringing together clues. And then coming up is Damn the Man, which is the failing indie record store RPG, and um, Good Dog, Bad Zombie, which is a board game about dogs saving humans from the zombie apocalypse. Cool. So do these are these more traditional, like you have a game master, or how... Uh, let's go with Questlandia. How does Questlandia sure. work? Yeah, yeah. So Questlandia is GMless, um, which I think, you know, at the time I made it GMless because I was still so new to role playing games that I had never played a GM'd game and I didn't know exactly what that even looked like. Um, wow, so that's G a... yeah. 
It's a so unique you, way to come into it. It is. No, I, I really kind of just came in uh, swinging in all directions with my eyes closed. Um, and it's it's mostly worked out. Um, so in, in Questlandia, you share ownership of the world. And the way that you sort of balance the GMing responsibilities is like if somebody... Um, you know, if, if I ask you a question about the world, Chris, like what, um, you know, what do the mushroom fairies look like? Um, if you're excited to answer that question, then you will take ownership of the mushroom fairies and you will have ownership of that element for the rest of the game. And when a new question comes up about the mushroom fairies, you're the one who gets to say the first and last thing about them. Um, so in that way, you kind of have this shared GMing thing going on where, you know, no no one person can take too much ownership of the elements of the world. Oh, that's, that's really neat. Yeah. So 14 Days, you said, is a RPG board game hybrid, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I'm noticing that there are a lot of these coming out lately. Like right now, Gloomhaven is doing its second printing on mm-hmm. Kickstarter and doing absurdly well. It is doing really well, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm noticing this is a big trend where, going from both ends, people are adding miniatures to role-playing games, and people are adding campaign-style stories to board games. Um, so how does 14 Days fit into that kind of style? What's unique about it? Yeah, so the way that 14 Days works is that you play two people somewhere in the world. Um, you don't necessarily know each other. You both... Uh, just happened to suffer from chronic migraines, and you're playing out two weeks in your life where you're trying to do things like, you know, go on a date or go to your job or pick your kids up from school. And at any given day, you might get struck with varying levels of pain. Um, Some days might be fine, and you can go about your day and do your tasks. And some days you might, you know, have to sort of just take take tasks off of your calendar one by one um, and, and, you know, prioritize, like, do I want to go to work today or do I want to go on that date or can I do neither? Um, So it's part task management game, but then along the way you are, you know, like narrating these um, personal stories of people who are impacted by pain and just want to fall in love or, you know, make their partner dinner. Um, so, you know, in that, in that way, it's this mix of board game with storytelling, role-playing game. So how's, how's that work? Is that like, um, an hour long, two hours long campaign? How does that Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a one shot. Um, it, uh, ideally is about an hour long. I think some people, it apparently takes most people about two hours, which is probably a flaw somewhere in the design that I need to, that I want to work out in a second edition. Um, or they're just so interested. They don't stop. Yeah, that, that could be. Um, so yeah, it, it ideally plays out in about an hour. Um, so, you know, it's it's meant to be um, kind of like an empathy-building exercise game. Cool. It's, it's really interesting. Really mm-hmm. interesting theme. Yeah. All right. So on to Noirlandia. I sure. love noir. I mean, oh, I love good. fantasy, too. But noir, and it's... I don't think it's represented enough in RPGs or board games. Like, when it comes up, I'm excited. So yeah. tell me about Noirlandia. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so Noirlandia, um, Evan, who is uh, my partner and part of Make Big Things, is the lead designer on Noirlandia. And Noirlandia, like Questlandia, it explores these themes of kind of like collapsing, corrupt. Um, well, in Questlandia, it's kingdoms. In Noirlandia, it's cities. Um, and you start Noirlandia by building a surreal city of your own design. So think maybe like dark city style noir. Um 
And after you build the city and you come up with its districts, and these kind of map to traditional noir districts like um, uh, the Upper Crust and Skid Row and Downtown and the Outskirts, and you come up with a victim and everybody plays a character who has some sort of connection to the victim and some desire to solve their murder. Um, and you generate clues on the fly and as you generate clues you're using those you're like pinning them up to an actual corkboard and the game has mechanics for you know like when you can draw a clue when you can string together clues to make connected leads and eventually you you just like have this murder that is solved like this full murder case that is solved from start to finish at the table um it always works I don't even know how it works. Evan did a really good job with the design because, like, it's hard to tell a murder mystery. It, it is. I, I've it's... tried to design board games with mysteries in them, and, and replayability is usually a huge problem. Yeah, and, and you know, making it all come together. Um, but Evan did a really, just a fantastic job with, you know, really doing, like, a good amount of hand-holding with helping to generate clues where, you know, it's not just, like, come up with a clue. Like, he has some tables that help you, you know, that map to, like, an office downtown or a, a letter in the upper crust. So the game kind of gives you these little suggestions along the way, and then the rest is um, your imagination. Oh, that's, that's really neat. Yeah. Uh... All right, so Damn the Man is not out yet. And this one was really interesting because I've seen Empire Records and <laughs> it's a great movie. I'm so, glad you like it. That's good. <laughs> so what is Damn the Man about in detail? Yeah, um, so Damn the Man started as a Questlandia hack, as you've, you've probably gotten the sense now that, you know, we have these sort of themes of collapsing, um, of things falling apart in our games. Um, so, you know, I was, I was thinking about Questlandia and watching Empire Records again, one of my favorite movies, and I was like, gosh, you know, this sort of maps to this collapsing kingdom narrative. Like, you have one chance to save this thing that you love, or or not, like, or throw it all away by the end of the day. And also in Empire Records, all of the characters have something big that they need to accomplish. Like either they need to confess their love or, um, you know, get a promotion or get their shit together or get accepted to college. Like everybody has this thing that needs to happen that day. Um, so with that, I started to make the Empire Records hack of Questlandia, which has turned into Damn the Man. Um, so... You know, everybody takes on the role of a character who's sort of a 90s movie archetype. So, you know, maybe you're the space case or the flirt or the overachiever or the brain. And you have something really big that you need to do that day, like score a gig or find a band. And in the meantime, your store is threatened by, you know, another inevitable collapse um, at the hands of the this time at the hands of the man. So, you know, the question is, can you save your store by the end of the day and find true love or or not. Oh, that sounds that sounds interesting. So, I have never designed a role-playing game. I have thought yeah. about it and ideas pop into my head and I'm like that would be really cool. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of work. I design board games and it's a lot of work, but I think a role-playing game is a level above that in some ways. So, could you walk us through how you make a role-playing game? Oh gosh. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try my best, Chris. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, a lot of uh, emotional pain and confusion over the course of many months, and then it's done. Um, oh, that um, sounds simple. <laughs> probably 
probably, you know, not too dissimilar from designing a board game in that way. Um, well, and, I uh, mean, there's a lot of story to them, right? And usually yeah. you, you have to build up some story. I mean, the, char- the players bring in story and they add to it, but usually you have to create a structure for them to work in. So is is there a lot of story writing for these RPGs you do, or yeah. are they more freeform? Or you know, it I, it depends. I think with with our games that we've made so far, we're we tend to put foist a lot of the world building onto the the players. Um, you know, it's like what what we expect of them is more tone, like the tone of never ending story, more than the tone of Lord of the Rings. Um, so we give a lot of tone guidance, and then within that. Uh, you know, I just try my best to um, lay out steps to facilitate the story that will best match the that tone and that that energy and those goals. Um, and it's it's hard. I I mean, for me, I play test really early, so I'll make like a really crappy first draft and then have a bunch of friends over who, I for some reason, don't hate me yet. Um, and you know, I'll invite my friends over, and you know, I'll have these really loose rules like here's when the scene ends, and here's when it, um, you know, here's when you roll the dice for conflict, or here's when you draw a card to learn more. Um, and we play test until until it gets closer and closer to that, like, feeling that I'm going for. Um, yeah, that's a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned playtesting. So yeah. I playtest board games a lot. Yeah, it, yeah. It makes sense. It's a simple structure. There's mechanics. And, like, does this work? No, there's a problem. With role-playing games, because by their nature they're very open-ended, how how do you know if it's right or not? Are you is it if it's the feel you're looking for? Is it the time? Is it just mechanically like something is totally broken and your players are too powerful? Or what what's a bad sign in a playtest? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, I think you know, I think with board games, you have um, you have a lot more mechanical. It's like okay, do do the mechanics work? Does it feel awkward because it's confusing or because um, you know, because there's too, this player has to wait too long before their next turn. And role-playing games aren't dissimilar. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a lot of the same questions, but then there's this added, like, emotional element on top of it. Like, um, you know, do people seem like they're really struggling because they've been given too much creative freedom? Um, like, you know, did, is the only rule you gave, like, okay, come up with something creative, now go. Um, like, that's really hard for people. And I've seen games that have done that. Um, like sometimes games that come out of game jams will kind of say like, okay, set the scene and now role play. Um, and so it's through play testing, you kind of get a sense of like where things feel. I mean, ideally you get a sense of where the mechanics are working and they aren't, and then where the social dynamics are breaking down and where they aren't. Um, and it can be really tricky also because with that added social element, some games you'll have one playtest and it'll be great and everybody's smiling and then you'll playtest again the same day and like you can tell everybody really hated it um and i've i've done both i mean when i bring games to playtest at conventions i've seen like both both things happen within the course of hours where i think like gosh this game's almost done and then the next group i'm like this is the worst game i've ever designed that's got to be <laughs> tough well i mean building on that Role-playing games are so group-dependent, more so than board games, because, like, 
to a certain degree. You need to be an actor. You need to be outgoing. You need to be willing to involve yourself in the story and accept it. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you find the right group to test these in a way that you know this is good testing for the wider audience and not I'm making a role-playing game that is absolutely perfect for these five people? Yeah. Um, well, you know, to, uh, to some extent, I accept that you know the my the audience the audience for my games only gets so wide i mean when you have a board game role-playing game about migraines you would have to accept that um that you were making a game for you know maybe a wider audience than your friends but that that this is not going to be like the next cards against humanity um uh and then you know beyond that i have um I do a mix. Sometimes I'll I'll play test at conventions where I know that it's going to be a real grab bag of people, and some of those people aren't folks who are really going to be a great match for the game, and that's still helpful information. Um, and then I've also developed a core group of friends who are like my my kind of hard hitting, honest friends. Um, <laughs> who you know, I mean, I love playing with my excited friends too, but I you know, I I don't have any like brutal friends but I, I like the folks who you know who know how to really spot where the problems are and are, are willing to tell me that cool huh? sounds like a good way to do it yeah and it seems to be working out for you so so yeah so far i mean it's you know i've sort of refined it a little bit over time well we're we're almost out of time so would you like to tell us a bit about the future i know sure. the man is coming out soon sure. and you have another one yeah, uh, so Damn the Man, Save the Music should be coming out, um, should be kickstarting either end of May or early June. I don't have an exact date yet, but it is imminent. Um, and then in the the next future, the future after Damn the Man, <laughs> you, can, you can look for Good Dog, Bad Zombie, which is um, Brian Van Slyke, who's another member of our co-op, is the lead designer on that game. And that is going to be a much more traditional, well, I don't, I don't know what you define as a traditional board game, but much less role-playing game, much more uh, board game card game. Uh, so excited for both of them. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you, do you want to? You're on Twitter. You're on your website. Yeah. yeah. So you can you can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter ha- handle is Han Bandit. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Make Big Things, which is our little game company, and MakeBigThings.com is our website where you can find our games and you know keep up with what what we're up to from any given day. Cool. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, and we'll definitely put your information in the news once you have your Kickstarter dates and stuff, and uh, hope to have you back someday. Great. Thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it. That does it for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can find it on Twitter at The BG Workshop, on Facebook.com slash The Board Game Workshop, and email TheBoardGameWorkshop at gmail.com. Show notes are on TheBoardGameWorkshop.com. Thanks for listening. Mm